Hello, and welcome to the Reader Podcast. My name is Frances, and I work for the Reader, which is a national charity bringing thousands of people together every week all over the UK in order to experience and enjoy great literature through shared reading. If you work at the Reader, you will probably have been asked at some point what we mean by the phrase great literature. Why does it have to be great? What does great imply and who decides what is great? Good questions. Questions which go to the heart of who we are as an organisation and more importantly, what we're trying to do out in the world. The answers are not straightforward. To answer, we will have to tell a few reader stories. Here is a short poem, a sonnet, by William Shakespeare. When in disgrace with fortune and men's eyes, I all alone beweep my outcast state, And trouble death heaven with my bootless cries, And look upon myself and curse my fate, Wishing me like to one more rich in hope, Featured like him, like him, with friends possessed, Desiring this man's art and that man's scope, With what I most enjoy, contented least. Yet in these thoughts myself almost despising, Haply I think on thee, and then my state, like to the lark at break of day arising from sullen earth, sings hymns at heaven's gate. For thy sweet love remembered, such wealth brings, that then I scorn to change my state with kings. Sonnet 29 has been read many times, in many shared reading groups, in many different settings over the years. Later in the podcast, you'll hear Sonnet 29 being read and discussed as part of a programme made for National Prison Radio. First, though, I'm going to speak to Philip Davis, Emeritus Professor of Literature and Psychology at the University of Liverpool. As part of the work done by his research unit, the Centre for Research into Reading, Literature and Society, or CRILS, Phil has witnessed this poem being read in shared reading groups and he's interviewed the participants. He can tell me why it works and what makes this poem great for shared reading. Hello, Phil. Hi. Hello. I wanted to talk to you um, because you've written about someone who had a very particular experience with this poem, Sonnet 29 as part of a shared reading group. And I wondered if you could tell us about that story and why it's important. But first, if you could tell us why you were talking to people in the first place about their experience of shared reading. Well, I suppose it goes back to my own interests, which um, began not as academic, but purely as a personal reader who wanted to find out more about life, about human existence, um, in ways that you weren't, couldn't be taught in school or even perhaps by your parents. Mm. And I was always interested in that personal dimension in reading in order also to think, well, how best can I live? And how does this book, if I care about it, mean something to me and matter to me? So the people who take part in in shared reading in these groups from a variety of backgrounds where the text is read alive, aloud, mm. are responding in ways that are personal and informal. In university study of literature, it's too formalized. There isn't enough personal feeling. It's not live. Mm. And I've always wanted to get to those bits. So being able to be part of a shared reading group or sit in on the shared reading group, or even in the case of my research center, um, transcribe 
and even film a shared reading group is a real privilege because you don't often get to see people reading. Reading is, by definition, a, a private, personal, silent, inner activity. And it's rather mysterious even to ourselves what's going on because we're paying attention to the book. We're not necessarily fully conscious of what's happening uh, in us. So there are lots of secrets there. There are secrets that we can't be taught about life, hidden things in life that literature helps to disclose. And there are secrets about what is happening to us uh, while we're reading in this uh, deep and serious sorts of way. Because I'm taking reading here very seriously in terms of the best way of thinking about human existence, not browsing, not escapism. And though there is real pleasure in it, I'm really thinking about reading for feeling. So I wanted to see that liveness happening in the group. Now, I know that group reading is not quite the same as private reading, but when it really kicks in, when people stop being self-conscious and things begin to happen, then something is really um, taking off in them and you see people thinking. That's quite rare because thinking is immaterial to see, not only hear people think, but to see thoughts coming out of people triggered by literature is wonderful. So this is an account of Sonnet 29, a Shakespeare sonnet. And we would take uh, this sonnet into a variety of settings. The one I particularly have in mind um, is a, a drug and rehab setting in London. And there was also another example of taking the same sonnet into a drug and rehab centre in Liverpool. And remember, most of these people will not have read any Shakespeare in the mm -hmm. past. It will seem to them uh, an old language and not an easy language. But the great advantage of this poem is that it deals with areas of shame and disgrace and loss of self-worth and feelings of, of downness until the final part of the poem tries to lift people back up again. I was just going to say before you go on and and tell us about those particular live groups where the poem hit home. Would you read it now? Yes. Read Sonnet 29 now. When in disgrace with fortune and men's eyes, I all alone beweep my outcast state and trouble deaf heaven with my bootless cries and look upon myself and curse my fate, wishing me like to one more rich in hope, featured like him, like him with friends possessed, desiring this man's art and that man's scope with what I most enjoy, contented least. Yet in these thoughts, myself almost despising. Happily, I think on thee and then my state. Like to the lark at break of day arising from sullen earth sings hymns at heaven's gate. For thy sweet love remembered, such wealth brings that then I scorn to change my state with kings. Thank you. For eight or nine lines, this poem is a downer. And then around line nine, yet, and then into line 10, happily I think on thee, somebody the man here loves, it tries to rise mm. like the lark from what's called sullen earth. And we know what sullen earth is, the depressed, mm. downer feeling when you feel you've let yourself and others down and your life is a shameful waste. And compared to others, you are nothing. Mm. So we took this into um, drug rehab centre, unafraid that it was an old poem, unafraid that it would be painful. That's important. This is not about health and safety in the sense of these are all safe poems and all going to cheer you up. And indeed, 
emotions are relative. But the only way you'll get a lift, the only way that a lift is worthwhile is if it lifts you from the down. So Shakespeare goes down before he goes up. This is not about just being cheerful. So shall I tell you a little bit now about one instance of this in relation to um, the man that we'll call Keith? Yes, please. Yeah. So Keith is um, sitting in in this group and coming from quite an emotionally repressed sort of setting. And this poem takes him by surprise. To use his vocabulary, it hits home. It's quite a violent and revelatory experience. And the line that he said, I mean, I should say there there are two things here. One is what he said in the group. And then because we filmed it, transcribed it, we were able to show him himself and his group functioning. And so there's also what he said about it afterwards. And just in terms of research, it's very important these films can show people afterwards what was happening in real. That's to say, if you ask people about the reading experience, you get a sort of rather gross memory of it because we're not used to remembering fine details. But if you can show people themselves in action, then they get into that feeling again and they get into the minutiae of the real because the real can be very, very small Mm -hmm. as well as very powerful in between lines, in little words. And the line that got him in the session, but that he also highlighted in the interview subsequently is the ninth line. Yet in these thoughts, myself almost despising. Now for some people, almost there would be a sign for the coming future of the poem that you're not quite despising that there's some hope of something else. But Keith didn't think like that. He thought, more interestingly, I think, that it's very, very hard totally to despise it, totally to despise yourself and still be that self. And also that you come to a terrible word and there's like a sort of warning, a sort of trepidation on the threshold. So it goes, it in these thoughts myself, almost ooh, despising. So almost was like taking you to the brink of a terrible place. And that's when he said that it hit him. Now, the most powerful thing he said was that it was feelings. That in the group, if it was a therapy session, you talked about in a casual sort of way, in a relaxed sort of way. You had memories of when you didn't drink yesterday and you said what you thought the well-meaning therapist wanted to hear. And everybody said, well done. And... He thought this was a way of getting away with things, that it was a form of cheating, that he knew, he's an intelligent man, he knew what to say in the sessions. He did not know what to say in the poetry sessions and it took him by surprise. It was a form of ambush because he suddenly realized, of course, really realized what it had been like to despise himself. So the power here is that suddenly something that was hidden behind your forehead is written out, as it were, in black and white in front of your forehead. And he says to see it there in print, black and white, substantiated, hit home. Something that was secret, deep behind and back, suddenly was out there. And there was no escaping from that. You couldn't lie, you couldn't pretend You weren't in a therapy session. And what's more, ever afterwards, he used this phrase, you can't unknow it. Not that he knew something, he found something he couldn't unknow. And that double negative, can't unknow, is when something that you didn't want to think about, you have to think about, and it won't go away. In these sessions of reading, it's sometimes the involuntary. The thing that comes by surprise, the thing that hits you from inside and outside at the same time that's most important. That's what happened to Keith. Do you think that Keith is unusual in in feeling it like that? Was it almost luck that it found him in this particular session? Or is it something in the poetry itself that the person who brought it to the group 
trusted was there and that if you spend long enough with it that impact will happen well let's be clear i mean from from keith's point of view it wasn't luck it was bad luck because he really would have preferred at some level to get away with things even though he knew that when you get away with things you don't really they don't go away is it unusual yes every time a poem strikes somebody powerful it's unusual mm. it's unusual because it's not how we normally function and you don't have to be the cleverest person for that to happen in fact the problem with the clever people is that they know too much in advance they're too educated they're too articulate and they're therefore not so vulnerable so there are people in these sessions who have had a very very hard time indeed worse than than anything i've known and really at some level keith didn't want to be comfortable he's undoubtedly a very intelligent man but it's not that it's the amount of experience and need and hurt that is suddenly triggered involuntarily by surprise with some pain through this poem and uh, that's the power of the language i mean that's to say the thing that had looked difficult that this is an older poem with a stranger language is actually an advantage if you keep sticking with it if you keep reading and rereading it if it's important in an emotional area so let's take another example drug and rehab center again this time in liverpool they're looking at the third line and trouble deaf heaven with my bootless cries they don't know and there's no reason why they should what this word bootless means it really means of course unavailing doesn't do any good but they do know what it's like privately uh, these apparently tough guys to cry and it to be useless so that word didn't stop people and look at the order of the language it says and trouble death heaven with my bootless cries before you get to the cries they're bootless they're ineffective before you get to heaven it's death these people know a lot about not being able to do stuff or stuff being thwarted but above all it was about troubling death heaven doesn't listen nobody listens they know that with unavailing cries it's not just your trouble what the guys we're talking about was that it was not just their trouble but they were troubling others not necessarily god in heaven but anybody so they suffered pain they were pain to others and those others didn't usually be able to bear to listen these are multiple problems 1600 odd says one of the people in the group but it says second line i all alone beweep i all alone beweep my outcast state and the guy says that means like cry your friggin eyes out so okay um friggin is not a technical academic term but the person running the group loved it because this was rough translation and if the second line had been and i cry my friggin eyes out it wouldn't have had the same effect it's got to carry from a distance not just the distance of 1600 to 2019 2020 2021 the distance has got to be from a rather dignified sort of language to what is beneath that language, was beneath it for Shakespeare and is beneath it for the people in the group, something much more raw. So it's wonderful that the power of the language is not to do with poshness, not to do with antique dignity. It's to do with a, a sort of strength that brings home, as, as Keith said, the raw material, the undignified, the struggling. Initially, they don't look that accessible and suddenly, ambush mm. this is now so keith was is a very intelligent man but what you want to do is to stop easy intelligence what we're interested in is is what we call in our in our research group a creative inarticulacy when when you bite off more than you can chew you don't know what to say anymore you don't know in advance and you, whether you're clever inverted commas or not clever educated or not very well educated suddenly you're struggling to find words now that's like poetry. When you don't know the easy words, when the words are something you fight for, that's creative. When you can just say anything, that's 
not very creative. It's easy. It's secondhand. But when the words matter and you're struggling, that's when something comes out. And that's what the best of these groups are. When something comes out that you didn't know, that you found it hard to say, difficult to articulate, painful, but coming from a sort of depth. Uh, somebody said the poem changes. And group leader very sensibly said, where? Mm. And the person, in fact, pointed not to nine, nine, but line 10, happily, I think, on thee. Didn't know what happily meant, thought it might mean happily. It means by chance, but who cares? Because the chance here is beginning of happiness. It's, it's rather beautiful. But the key thing here is not about explaining. The first thing is that you can point to the moment of change. We talk too easily about being able to change our life. If in a poem you can see a moment where something is different, mm. a gear changing, uh, a movement, if, and all you've got to do is not talk about it, just point to it. And it's those pointing to the lines that matter or the places where something different has happened or what's got to you mm. that is reading. That's reading being able to point to something that's there on the page and affecting you inside at the same time. So all I want in a reading group is fingers, <laughs> powerful fingers. If I was a group leader and I took it to a group and was met by people saying, I, I just don't get it, I don't understand, or this is Shakespeare, I hate Shakespeare, but we read it and we spent time with it and the fingers came out and pointed to lines and maybe the voice changed a little bit that's what i'm listening for right it's not uh right not i mean they say and I, what am i gonna do i take it to a group they don't like it i bloody well read it again <laughs> and then i read it again and again and again and i get them to read it and i start looking at bits and i will stay with it because mm. i have to have faith in something and I have it, it's not, I think, oh, the poem is more important than the people. How dare you insult Shakespeare? It's that I believe this poem. I believe in this poem. I believe it holds something for people. And I will just read it again and again, waiting, hoping that the voice gets in. If the poem moves you and is powerful about something that matters, you have to keep faith in that when the people don't have faith and wait to see if you can get the connection. Poems have not got a great reputation in terms of, you know, being soft or elitist, but that that might unlock a lot of your personal memories. Mm -hmm. To give you an example, in, a, in the reading group in Liverpool, in the Drug and Rehab Centre, they concentrated a little bit on the last part of the poem. Happily, I think, on thee and then my state. Light to the lark, the break of day arising from sullen earth sings hymns at heaven's gate. And suddenly, poem lifts and takes off. And one of the guys said, I'm not meaning to be soft or anything, but sometimes on a spring day when you're in here and you suddenly hear a bird, it's sort of beautiful. And characteristic as we've looked and analyzed these groups is that particularly in male dominated environments where you're meant to be tough, one of the words that's first of all used almost to apologize for being moved by the beautiful is this word soft. I don't mean to be soft, but. Mm. And suddenly that gets through that a strong language like Shakespeare's can defend soft feelings. We sometimes ashamed of those soft feelings or we want to deny our vulnerabilities. But when something strong is on behalf of something weak, that makes the difference. And the guy could now find the room to say that. He talked also about the third line, that one you remember about, and troubled deaf heaven with my bootless cries. And he said, very, very quietly, he's not being heard. The group leader didn't quite hear him. He's got a, quite a thick Scottish accent as well. She said, what did you say? And he said, he's not being heard. And it was a wonderful moment, it's quite quiet, and he was in danger of not being heard. But that's what happens in lots of environments. People aren't heard, and they feel they're not heard, and they're not, and then increasingly they're not heard even by themselves. So it's a surprise to me, really, that poetry can do this, but I don't know any other instrument, because that's what it is, really, not just some sort of aesthetic thing. I don't know any other instrument that can get deep into people's personal being. That was Professor Philip Davis. 
His stories of Sonnet 29 in shared reading groups helped me begin to answer that question of what a great poem might be. Something, an instrument that you have faith in, faith that it could bring to another reader one of those miraculous moments, the surprise of seeing their innermost thoughts and feelings suddenly appear in front of them, in print, on a page. It is a privilege, as Phil called it, that we have in shared reading groups to be able to see people thinking, creatively, together, in real time. So let's hear a bit of that now, as we can listen to a National Prison Radio programme, which was produced in lockdown last year by the Reader and the Prison Radio Association, in which Sean, who works at the Reader, reads Sonnet 29 with guests... Victoria and Jerome. Do you want to take it away and we can start reading? Lovely. Well, it's nice to have you along. Um, I thought what we'd read today um, would be a, just a, we'll start with a little bit of Shakespeare, which I'll be honest, when I was younger, used to send me screaming from the room. But um, we've got a poem that uh, I'd like you to have a look at. And what I'll do is I'll read it aloud and we'll we'll see how we feel about it and what we can get from that, if that's OK. No worries, no worries. Lovely. So I'll give this a read. This is by William Shakespeare. It's called Sonnet 29, When in Disgrace with Fortune and Men's Eyes. When, in disgrace with fortune and men's eyes, I all alone beweep my outcast state and trouble deaf heaven with my bootless cries and look upon myself and curse my fate. Wishing me like to one more rich in hope, featured like him, like him with friends possessed, desiring this man's art and that man's scope, with what I most enjoy, contented least. Yet in these thoughts, myself almost despising, Haply I think on thee, and then my state, like to the lark at break of day arising from sullen earth, sings hymns at heaven's gate. For thy sweet love remembered such wealth brings, that then I scorn to change my state with kings. Anything I read, I try to understand what they're saying. Yeah. And once you said William Shakespeare, I always knew that I would never understand because, like <laughs> many of the poems that we've read before, I think when we go back into centuries, the way they speak, the language that they use mm -hmm. is totally different to the language that we use now. That's why, even though you shouldn't, I like to have like Google just there. Got you. But we don't have that. Mm -hmm. So based off of what it is, I think the title for me was the first thing that I was just like, I don't understand. It says, when in dis disgrace with fortune and men's eyes. So I was just trying to understand, is that meaning that he has fortune, but he's disgraced in men's eyes? Ooh. Well, he's in disgrace. It says, when in disgrace with fortune, with fortune and, so and men's, men's eyes. eyes. So mm. it's like, is it people judging? Because it then talks about, I'm all alone, be whipped my outcast state hey. basically no, um, myself and curse my fate so it's like mm. is it my fate is that okay cool like I'm, I'm rich it's not my fault but then is it a disgraceful thing I'm not sure oh th there's a lot in that Victoria thank you um yeah I'm in disgrace with fortune and men's eyes but I'm all alone be weeping my outcast state it's like he's reflecting on something you know what I mean he's he's, he's thinking loud kind of thing like it's, it's what I see is like it's just him by himself and he's kind of thinking loud and mm. and I'm just kind of projecting that. But I agree with um, Victoria that um, Shakespeare, I've never kind of... There's certain certain little bits and bobs I, I understand in the past from school and that, but yeah. the language isn't really always correlated with me still. But what I'm getting from this is like he's he's just reflecting and he's, he's just thinking aloud. Like it's... There's a spectacle to it. You get me, man can see a picture with certain things he's saying and whatnot. I like that he's reflecting, he's thinking out loud, he's kicking back and actually thinking of what's happening in his life. You're right, the language is tricky. And I think 
it might be helpful if if we hear it again. So should I give it another read while you just okay. kind of let it settle Why in? Not? Why okay. Not? Right. When, in disgrace with fortune and men's eyes, I all alone beweep my outcast state and trouble deaf heaven with my bootless cries and look upon myself and curse my fate, wishing me like to one more rich in hope, featured like him, like him with friends possessed, desiring this man's art and that man's scope, with what I most enjoy, contented least. Yet in these thoughts, myself almost despising, haply, I think on thee, and then my state, like to the lark at break of day arising from sullen earth, sings hymns at heaven's gate. For thy sweet love remembered such wealth brings, that then I scorn to change my state with kings. It's like he, he, he's looking like through a next man's He's seeing the next man's kind of fortune and he wishes that Ooh. was him or he maybe been in that position before and he wishes he was there again or something. I like that. It's that wishing me like one more rich in hope, wishing he'd got what somebody else had got. Yeah, yeah. I wish I could do what he'd done. That like He's saying, boom, desiring a man's art and then a man's sculpt. So he's desiring one man's art and then one man's kind of vision. He's sculpt, he get me, so... Oh. Oh, I love that, Gerald. And, and, you know, I'm going to say I'm guilty of that. Sometimes I look at what people have and I, I get <laughs> jealous, wishing I could do that or wishing I'd got what they got. No, I understand you. I yeah. find that, no, that motivates me still. That motivates you? That yeah, thing. rather than being jealous, that kind of motivates me still. And just thinking about that, I want to jump back to near the beginning. In disgrace with fortune and men's eyes, just that idea of being, being in disgrace, that feels uncomfortable to me mm -hmm. I'm still trying to decipher is it him that's broke or is it him that's wealthy if that makes sense because oh. to me like I say language he says I'm troubled deaf heaven with my bootless cries like what yeah. does my bootless mean is it is it a type of clothing do you get what I mean and it's like to say that I'm not I don't have what someone else has mm. or was Ooh. bootless clothing in those days deemed as being wealthy do you get i mean you could afford a typical type of clothes it is it is tricky uh, i'm just thinking now about that bootless troubling deaf heaven with my bootless cries i'm wondering if he's maybe it's about being poor not having something yeah mm. but but he's in disgrace which feels uncomfortable he's he's all alone be weeping he's outcast state i'm seeing somebody in tears mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, i think he's, he's broke He's so, broke. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Because if you read on, it says, and look upon myself and curse my fate, wishing me like to one more rich in hope. Then you just start to think, is is it actually about the physical wealth or the mm. wealth of, do you know what I mean? Emotion, like how you're feeling. Yeah. Yeah, 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 rich in hope. Like it's, it's not about the physical money, but more about the emotions, the hope. Mm. Yeah. I feel you, I feel you. Like he's been there, he's seen it, and then he's lost it, or something's happened and he's not in the position he was before. And, um... mm. he's, in an, he's in an outcast state. Mm. You know, if, 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 if you think about being an outcast, how might that feel? Yeah, just like this, I suppose, though. So the idea that maybe he's, maybe he's had this hope, maybe he's had good stuff, but now he's... Is wishing he was more like somebody who's rich in it. Or more like someone that's around him. Yeah. Because the way he talks, it's like he's he's ever he can see people around him doing certain things or doing better than him or whatnot. Because even though this is you know, back in the day when Shakespeare wrote this, this feels kind of relevant to me. The fact that, as I said earlier, there's there's the sometimes looking at what people haven't, well, I wish I got that. I wish I could do what they've got but also just wanting to be rich in hope, sometimes feeling like I haven't got any hope left. My pockets are empty of hope. Mm -hmm. When you ain't got nothing and you got faith, that goes a long way, you feel me? That could be the pivotal change to, to you doing this or doing that. 
Like when you're at the bottom and you feel like you're down or whatnot, and all you gotta rely on is faith. You understand me? Yeah. Faith that man's gonna come back up and whatnot. That goes a long way, man. That's a lot more than currency at, at that present moment. We're just thinking near that section in the poem that round about the middle of it, there's a line with what I most enjoy, contented least. Just trying to understand what that might mean or what it might feel like with what I most enjoy, contented least. Um, content content means like you're 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 just comfortable, isn't it? You're cool within what you're doing yeah. right now, kind of flip. So um, it's hard because I didn't think about that. That that line it just baffles me. It baffles but you. But then what That's I went right. on to look at was the two lines after. Well, the line after that way says, "Happily, I think of thee and then my state." So, like I and um back in the day when they would say thee, they mean you. So it's like now, who's he talking to? Because at first I was talking, yet yeah, in my thoughts, myself almost despising. Happily, I think of you, and then my state. Right. Well, let's let's work with that, Victoria. Because yeah, yeah. I, I, if we were to say, you know, in, in modern language, happily, I think of you. Mm. So he's talking to, to someone. someone, and then my state. And then my state, like to the lark at break of day. Arising from sullen earth sings hymns at heaven gate. I'm not sure, but that feels quite upbeat. Maybe he's heartbroken. For thy sweet love remembered such wealth brings that then I scorn to change my state with kings. For real. There's definitely some kind of love going on there. Yeah. The king got his heart broken. Oh, maybe he's broken up with his girlfriend and that's why he's down on hope. Ah. And he would like to be back. In maybe he's disgraced, maybe he cheated or something. Oh, maybe <laughs> he's disgraced. And do you get? I mean, he's seen himself with someone, or maybe she cheated. <laughs> and then, <laughs> do you get what I mean? And he's just like, then he speaks about the wealth. Then he just speaks about how he would like to be back, change his state to be back, back being with kings. So maybe, like we said, it's not about physical; it's about the feeling. And like he was uh, rich with hope and it was in that relationship because he says, I think of you and then I think of my state. Is that what then you think that I don't have you? And then I don't know what the lark of the break, the day arising. I don't know what that symbolizes or what that means. But mm. the heaven's gate for thy sweet love remembered what such wealth brings. It's true. Even even going by what Vic's saying, it's like when man look at it more, it's kind of evident he had something, yes. mm, but he's lost. lost it, and he's reflecting on where he was or how to get back there, or just reflecting on other people around him, comparing his kind of thing to their thing. Because even with that, with what I most enjoy, content at least, it's like what I'm getting from that. That means like what I enjoy doing. Like what I was enjoying doing at that present moment, that like I'm not entirely happy. Maybe mm, that and that but that's kind of contradicts itself. Man saying I enjoy it, but I'm not happy. That like I, I, maybe I need another word for it. But that's what I'm getting to do. I like that idea. It, it feels contradictory. You know what I enjoy the most. I'm contented least by it. I'm not comfortable with it anymore. Space, yeah, and that feels like somebody who's in a in a bit of a tough position to me. So if he's if we're talking about somebody who might have lost a lot, maybe love, maybe maybe money, maybe maybe even status, it feels like it's it's kind of affecting him on quite a few different levels. That could relate to love still, because it's like he's saying what man enjoy most, like I was with this person or I love this person, I enjoyed their presence yeah. most. I've got so used to that person that you start to get content maybe and stop mm. doing the things that you used to do kind of thing. So he contented least like he, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he enjoyed it. He enjoyed being around that person or that that presence or whatnot. But maybe he stopped doing the things that got him to that level or something. I don't know, man. And the third line of the poem, and troubling deaf heaven with my bootless cries. Just trying to figure that. Oh, so troubling heaven. Deaf heaven. With what's deaf heaven? Deaf heaven. I'm not sure of, but I would have seen that as troubling heaven with my cries. So it's like you know, like when you're crying or you're praying to God, maybe. Yeah. And it's just that like I'm just troubling heaven's gates, like because I'm just crying and it's just there's no. Yeah, like he's 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 praying 
but he's not getting a response kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, or he's, yeah, he's not going to get help from it. So I'm just bothering yeah. you now, bothering ah, heaven with my cries. It's a deaf heaven. I ain't got no response when oh, I'm listening. This cries mm. kind of metaphor like. I'm on my I'm on my last legs. You get yeah. me? I bootless crayers. I'm, I'm down. B, come and help me, type flow. You feel me? But he's sending these prayers up. He's troubling heaven, and we all do that. We want something to come back, but heaven's death. Yet, and there's that word that sits there. Yet, that feels. I don't know. It's almost like somebody going, Albert, hang on. Yeah, in these in these thoughts, myself almost despising. Happily, I think on thee. So yeah, in my thoughts, like I'm, I'm crumbling in my thoughts. You feel me? Yeah. I'm almost down. But happily, I think on thee. I think of a particular subject, her or you or that or that. Yeah. And then my state, like to the lark at the break of the day, rise and sink. You get me? So I, all of a sudden, I'm up when I think about this particular subject, whatever it is or person. You feel me? There's some that is a transition from from that part that yeah indies my soul. There's a transition. I like that, and it, and it is it's kind of like like a light switch moment or a light bulb moment. Mm. I think of thee, and I switch from being almost despising mm-hmm. my state, maybe of my state of mind, switches, and it's like a bird. Yeah, but this feels like it's 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 something kind of romantic or something of the heart yeah. going on. I think it's a love song. It must have been an old romantic, but the last couple of lines what? at the end of the poem, that is, we're talking about love, and if I can just read those, let's see what we can find mm. in there. For thy sweet love remembered, such wealth brings, that then I scorn to change my state with kings. At this last line, when he says... um and I scorn to change my state with a kin. Yeah. So is he saying kind of like, I don't want to be looked in in the same light as the king, like when the love is wealthier than actually being a king with money kind of thing. I love that. And then when I look to the first line, like in disgrace with fortune and men's eyes. So in another person's eyes kind of flex. A POV. Yeah. Or could he be talking in first person? Probably when he says men's eyes, he's not talking about another person's eyes. He's talking about himself. It's like we would say, oh, when you're in disgrace, then you're only human. But I'm talking about me. Do you get what I mean? And I'm just saying Mm. I'm only human. So he's just saying and men's eyes. Like it could just be the way he sees things through the eyes of a man. Like of a human. Am I making sense? Yeah. Yeah, he's putting his... Self in the position with the other men. Yeah, because how I've been reading it was men's eyes is in someone else looking at him, but it could be his view of things just through being human. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, yeah. I could be like, oh, when I'm just like in my feelings, and and being human. So he might be just looking at himself and and kind of doing that thing we all do about yeah, it, just kind of pulling ourselves apart and thinking, oh, why am I doing this? What am I doing? Yeah, self reflection. Self-reflecting, yeah. So men's eyes is more him self-reflecting on what he's seeing and what is going on and how he sees his fortune. It's a funny thing that if you're reflecting on yourself, that's only one viewpoint. And and I'm wondering how accurate that is. You know what I mean? Sometimes you can mm. you can be quite judgmental, maybe, of yourself. On your own opinion. Yeah, of course. Of course. So just just to kind of recap what we've said, we've got maybe an idea of somebody who's judging themselves is having a bad time, maybe emotionally, maybe in a relationship, maybe even he's, he's lost a lot of things. He's looking at what other people have got that he hasn't mm-hmm. got. He's wishing he'd got those things. Even the things that he enjoys the most, he's enjoying the least, but there's something there, there's someone mm-hmm. that he thinks it about. It changes everything. It changes everything. I feels really powerful, Victoria. The fact that there's just this one person that That's the effect women can have on your darling. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, but honestly it's true. I didn't I didn't realise the change of the deaf heavens and then singing to heaven. 
I didn't realise that in the last four, like the four or five lines until you made that statement. Once he does state that happily I think of thee, that's the first time he even says anything to be with happy, I think of you and literally everything changes. They're singing, to, um, singing hymns at heaven's gate for the sweet love that you give reminds me of the wealth and I would never want to be in that state with kings. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a huge change, isn't it, from the beginning being Literally. in disgrace, yeah? And all this because of a love that's remembered. I think on thee and then, boom, there's all this change. Do you know, I don't think he's heartbroken, you know? Sorry, just reading yeah. that over again, I don't think he's heartbroken. Because if you see, I think he's upset about where he is in life, but then he says, I just literally realised that, Vin. But then he says, yet in these thoughts, myself almost despising. Yeah. So he was then despising himself. So in those thoughts, when he was despising he, himself, that's when I think about you and then my state. And then it's like everything changes. So that's why it changes. So maybe you're right. Maybe we, we it's right to go back into our first thought when we thought that he was looking at other people enviously, but then he remembers someone and that just changes everything. And he just thinks, do you know what? the love that you give, do you get what I mean? It's much more better than yeah. even being with kings. I love it. That's a great way of reading it. Thank you. But but that thing is, it's maybe not just about being heartbroken. It, it, there's something mm. there about just feeling. Or he might be heartbroken, but it's him that done the bad deed. You know what I mean? So he's beating up himself. Yet mm. in these thoughts, myself, almost despising, you know what I mean? So happily I think, and so happily I start to think about whatever it is and that might lift me up, but I know I'm in the wrong kind of flicks. Out, it was my bad kind of thing. Yeah, and that almost despising, if you despise something, that's quite a strong feeling. So yeah, almost despising yeah. yourself feels real uncomfortable. But almost, almost, he never fully he almost, like, I was almost there, you get me? Yeah. But he never never went there with it. Never mm. went there with it because I think because of the... Because mm. of his young lady changed yeah. everything. I get a real sense from that session of how Sean, Victoria and Jarrell stuck with it and worked together to imaginatively draw meaning from that poem. There may not have been a moment of revelation like there was for Keith in Phil's story about this poem, but I love that you could hear in those voices when something did hit home, even in a quieter way. It can be just one line that does it. In this last part of the podcast, Grace, who also works at The Reader, will tell us another story about another group in Liverpool, reading Sonnet 29. It's a group that meets in a mental health drop-in centre in Liverpool, in an area suffering from high levels of deprivation and long-term unemployment. There are five members, each with a diagnosis of depression, some also struggling with anxiety. Some are chatty, some self-contained. One is a woman in her 80s recently widowed. Another, recently joined, has come along because she loves books. Another is a young single mother with some learning disabilities. It is only the third time this group has met to read together, but the group leader, who brings along something to read each week, has confidently chosen Sonnet 29. Margaret and Linda, two of the members, find their way into the poem. It's a turnaround, Margaret said. Don't know why you bother living at the beginning, and yet at the end he's got everything to live for. They read the poem again, talking about whether this is a man who has lost everything, and why, and whether he feels sorry for himself. Don, who rarely speaks, gets interested in the last two lines, and despite his stutter, volunteers to read the poem aloud again, the first time he's done so in the group. But then Beryl says, I hate Shakespeare. I can't stand him. I just don't like him. I don't like the verse. I don't like his poetry. I just don't like Shakespeare. When we were doing it at school, it was absolutely boring. I couldn't stand it. And then she says, Happily I think on thee, and then my state like the lark at break of day arising. Isn't that a beautiful verse? 
Isn't that lovely? I don't really like him, but isn't that beautiful? Beryl's instinct for the part of the poem that is beautiful has made a difference. As she feels the movement of the poem from within the lines, the lark at break of day arising, this movement gets into her and lifts her. Beryl's response to those lines inspires the rest of the group to look at them again. There is energy, imagination, activity in the group. This is not just something that the group members have found within themselves. It is more that it is called out of them by the poem. An ease of movement is released in Beryl, for example, quite without either her intending it or the group leader engineering it. It is effortless. Don, at the end of the session, comments, It sounds a lot better now. His initial response having been, I just don't understand a lot of it. An encounter with a beautiful thing, whether it be the song of a lark, the lines of a poem, or Don's reading of them, causes the issue of how a person might feel about themselves to be left to one side. Beauty lifts people out of self-consciousness, away from the problem-solving methods of therapy, or the circular habits of mind that characterise depression. It has vitality, a lift like that of the poem's change, but no set agenda. We become interested instead with something else with which or with whom we can fall in love. That was Grace Frame, reading from an article she wrote back in 2009 for the Reader magazine, with another example of this sonnet working in despite of its author and his fame and his place in our culture, becoming for that group of people a live, vital moment of beauty, a tool for making meaning and awakening feeling. There is, of course, a long list of great literature that staff and volunteers who run reading groups will put their faith in. We'll talk about some more of these in future episodes of the podcast. But that's it for this episode. We're so grateful to the Prison Radio Association and all the contributors to the NPR programmes, especially to Sean, Jarrell and Victoria. Many thanks to Professor Phil Davis and to Grace Frame. If you notice the sound of birdsong in the background at earlier points in this episode, that was recorded at Calderstones Park in Liverpool, where the reader is based, and it comes to your ears courtesy of Chris Lynn. Many thanks to Chris for that, as well as all the sound editing and production support on this podcast. The reader relies on the kind support of our core funders, Arts Council England, the National Lottery Community Fund, the players of the People's Postcode Lottery and the Steve Morgan Foundation. We'll be back soon for more conversation, recommendations and shared reading. Till then, you can visit the website or check Twitter and Facebook to find out more about the reader and how you can get involved with our work. And please like subscribe and spread the word about this The Reader Podcast. Till next time, goodbye.